Terence V. Powderly was born to Terence and Madge Powderly in the industrial community of Carbondale, where his father had established his own coal mine. Young Terry was a nearsighted child who got ill often and was deaf in one ear due to yellow fever. Incompetent in sports and often wearing hand-me-downs, the young Powderly had to fend for himself against local bullies. He believed that being part of a large Irish family, seven brothers and four sisters, helped alleviate his childhood difficulties, as well as encourage his avid reading habits. While it is unclear how Powderly's Catholic faith affected his early life, he reportedly learned tolerance and sympathy for those in need from his close relationship to his mother, who was an abolitionist. Powderly had a rudimentary education of about six years, and he began working at age 13. By 17, he became an apprentice, machinist, and eventually found work in Scranton, joining the International Union of Machinists and Blacksmiths five years later in 1871. During his early years of employment, Terence Powderly developed a great deal of confidence and took his wit and charm into social circles. While he enjoyed playing cards and attending saloons, Powderly restricted himself to, quote, harmless mischief, avoided bad company, and was uninterested in alcohol. It was here in Scranton that he met Hannah Deaver, daughter of a Scranton mine worker, and her brothers Johnny and Ed. Hannah and Terence married on September 19, 1872, and would be together until her death in 1907. In 1876, Terence Powderly joined the Knights of Labor in Scranton, and just a year after he joined, he quit his job as a machinist and became a full-time organizer for the Knights, a pay cut of $110 a month. His commitment to the organization was matched by a vision of establishing worker collectives achieved through avoiding strikes when possible and violent action at all times. When a set of significant Pennsylvania strikes occurred in the summer of 1877, Powderly set himself to raising funds for the families of the dead men, boycotting merchants who opposed the continuing miners' strike, establishing a cooperative grocery store to assist the strikers, organizing the outraged into local assemblies, and above all, setting the wheels in motion to defeat employers and their political henchmen during the next elections. All that from a study by Michael Barga drawing on Powderly's autobiography, The Path I Trod. We'll have a chance to experience a story set in Scranton that features Terence Powderly as a character. And yet the edges will be rounded a bit. The Terence Powderly who strides across the stage in the city he once led will be a creation of mother-daughter playwrights who have other sources that add humanity and texture to a man they came to admire. And one of those sources is an abandoned chest. Once Margot, like Pandora only in a good way, opened that chest, the contents tumbled out and her world was changed forever. Dawn of Lackawanna is an original play by the Azarellis, Margot and Marnie, that will open this Friday at the Diva Theater in Scranton, a theater founded by Paige Belitsky and Bob Belitsky 
in part to showcase original work by regional writers. Paige directs this show, and we began by asking her about the how and the why of Diva's mission. It's probably based in realizing that having chosen theater as our medium, you know, Bob and I, we have this great respect for the written word. And in Scranton, in the greater Scranton area, there are many, many writers, good writers, who need to be heard. And they need a venue to achieve that. So it was an easy yes from Bob and I. The fact that we're going to talk to the Azarellis is something that's not a surprise to you. You've known them, and you have made it possible for them to get to the point where they can have another play in their series. So how did you first get to know them and work with them? Do you remember? I do remember how we met the Azarellis. One of them, and I don't know which one, gave Bob a call and asked him to be in one of their short plays about, I think it was the American Red Cross, if I'm not mistaken. And Bob said to me, do you know these folks? And I went, well, I know of Margot because I know she's an author. Let's do it. So Bob did it. We met. Everybody was so nice and talented and loving and giving. And I thought, this is a a good relationship. And so I think it and I'm going to say maybe almost 20 years. And I remember talking with you and with them about a front porch. Have they done a play with a stoop or a front porch? Yes, we did a really nice presentation of Margot's short. I think it was about 10 minutes, and it took place on the front stoop of different uh, people in the same neighborhood. I really loved it, and and she's often spoken about doing it as a full-length play, and that's something I'd really be interested in. And what makes this kind of play, where the characters are historical figures and the setting is a place we know, Scranton, but before most of our time, what's important about doing this kind of work? It's not a history course. I think there's several different things going on here. I think, first of all, that the Azarellis, of course, have the reputation of putting forth wonderful material. I think there's a huge growth in people wanting to know where they came from, doing uh, Ancestry.com or DNA swabs or whatever it is. And this talks about what Scranton was before it actually became Scranton where the Providence section of Scranton really was the hub. And all of the push and pull and fighting and, you know, they do take some liberties with some of the characters, but it is based on historical facts. And I want to make sure that we give a big thank you to Lackawanna County because we did receive a grant to do this production, a very generous grant, and we're forever grateful for that. Paige Belitsky, who, with Bob Belitsky, founded the Diva Theater in Scranton, a theater showcasing original work by regional writers, in addition to those classic works and new plays from the world at large. Paige directs this play by the Azarellis, and we move to the Azarellis now to learn about Dawn of Lackawanna. We begin with Margot's love of history. 
It actually came before we started writing the plays and the programs and the books. I mean, I always had a love for history of Scranton, but it's funny. My husband had found a trunk. He did HVAC work, and he found a trunk in one of the older houses in Scranton. And the owner didn't want this trunk anymore, so he, he gave it to Dominic. And it had letters dated back from 1836 up until the 1920s of one particular Scranton family. And it was like reading a book. I followed the history through the letters, and I learned about the riots in 1877. And it was just like being there. So it just got me more into the history. And I've been doing research, and one thing leads to the next, and one that thing leads to another. So we kind of just let history lead us from one subject to another. And that's pretty much how we started. And at the same time, I was getting into theater, and that's how I got Dad into theater with me, and we were doing a historical play around the same time. So it's always been kind of neck parallel with each other. We've always been doing history and performing at the same time. Paige mentioned the word Bristol in our conversation, and that's a word you used the last time I think we talked. What was the Bristol, and what does that say about what you've been exploring? Bristol House is actually the real name of the hotel saloon that we have our plays inspired by. It was built here in 1830 over in Providence. And when I was reading about the Wintons, who are a prominent family over in Providence, that's how I found out about the Bristol House. And we shortened the name to the Bristol. And that's pretty much how that started. We we just decided to have the play set there because I kind of just pictured it in my mind. We had a picture of it, and mm-hmm. just that picture led to a story. And then we found out about the Providence Divorce Bill, which isn't really a well-known historical subject in the city. It's when Providence tried to divorce itself from Scranton, and that's where our first play was based on. What was the reason for the secession? They were very proud. Providence Mm -hmm. was their own borough, and they did not want to be part of Scranton. They felt that they'd be paying more taxes and getting less help from the city because they weren't in downtown. So now they would have to share between there and West Scranton and downtown Scranton proper. So they didn't want to be part of it. They want to be Providence. They were very proud people. Unfortunately, the divorce bill did get passed, but it never went into law, so they became part of Scranton. So that's kind of what piqued our interest, and then when I saw the picture of the Bristol house, I thought, hmm, we can set the story in there, and that's how the whole saga started. And have you worked chronologically, or have you just taken a story and not worried about where it fit on the timeline of Scranton? We've only gone actually two years, Mm -hmm. 1877 and 1878, between the three of them, because the Providence Divorce Bill happened in in the spring of 1877, and then the labor riots happened in August of 1877. That was our second play, City of Unrest. And now this one down of Lackawanna takes place in 1878 when Terrence V. Powderly is running for mayor. And Powderly was known outside the bounds of Scranton. How did he get to be part of the political story here? Well, he originally was born in Carbondale, and he worked as a machinist in a lot of the Scranton, like the DLNW, a lot of the shops in the area. And he became blackballed pretty much because of him trying to start unions. And he became a high workman for the Knights of Labor, and pretty much he went into politics to help the working man have a voice. And he later, after 
he was married three consecutive times here in Scranton. He later nationally became known as the voice of labor in Scranton. So that's pretty much why he started it, was to help the working man. What kind of dramatic arc did you decide to settle on? Are you in the whole year or just around the riots? How did you narrow it down? It kind of just came to us. Like I said, we let the history, I know it sounds weird, tell us what wants to be written. And Margot's always had an interest in uh, the labor riots. Oh, yeah, that's my my passion. I've been doing that since the early 2000s. So it kind of seemed natural after doing the divorce bill and with the riots being so close to each other that we touch on those. Then it just so happened, we're like, when was when were we incorporated as a county? Oh, Terrence Powderly is going to be mayor. Yeah, so, so it's just kind of... The following year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just happened kind of coincidentally, naturally together. So, and it's still following the labor mm-hmm. aspect. Yeah, the labor yeah, aspect yeah. is in all three of them. I mean, that's the whole city, though. The, the right. city is steeped in labor history. Right. Is Terrence Powderly a character? Yes. yes. He is. And he's a good character in it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the actor he's our Yoda. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And a lot of his speeches that he gives are actually Actual his speeches from his own autobiography. If he's kind of a protagonist, who's the antagonist working against him? Well, we take a little liberties with William Walker Scranton, and that's, that's who we have as our main antagonist. And we have A.H. Witten as well. And uh, a character uh, that we created called Madame Victoria, who's like a dueling madam in Scranton. And Scranton, we kind of based on... The capitalists. Yeah, the capitalists of the time, like the J.P. Morgans and Gower. Yeah, all of those, definitely those people who kind of thought they were above everyone else because they had money. So we kind of wanted to show how much they exploited their workers and how much they just didn't really care. They just kind of did what they wanted to do and for their own reasons and money. The reason we do this, and like I said, it's inspired. We don't know how W.W. Scranton was, but the poor man never got to tell his side of the story. Mm -hmm. It was always the rich man. If you look at any of the books, even for here, it was the Hitchcocks and all of the ones that were lawyers. or, or Looking at Ladies of the Night, there's literally one book about women working prostitutes in this area. There's one book, and it's like a picture book that costs 60-some dollars, and that's all that exists. So we wanted to give people a voice from the past. That's pretty much what we're doing. We're giving the working, our class, the working class Mm -hmm. people, a voice from the past. And we try to do it as accurately as we can. And, of course, we do have to take liberties because we're only getting the rich man. We're only getting little bits and pieces. Do you love the idea that it is a period piece? Do you use costuming that's appropriate and suggestions on a set? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. Costuming and all of that, and even the pictures we have and stuff, we try to make look as old as possible. The pictures are also all old. As, it's as from our family, family, from the 1800s that we have up there. So, yeah, we try to get as real as we can because we want people to go back in time when they're sitting there. Mm-hmm. Even looking into makeup and costuming for women at that time as well. You must have actors who love the fact that they can play, first of all, in an original piece, but also can play an historical character like Powderly or Scranton and bring themselves to it. Definitely. Definitely. And most of us have been together. We're a big cast. There's like 23, 24 of us Mm -hmm. been together since 2016. So we're like a family now. So this is going to be hard because this will be the last Last time time for now of doing it, unless we come up with something else in the future. <laughs> oh, 
God. So it's a trilogy. Right, yes. yes. It didn't start out as that, but that's what it has become. <laughs> Are there original songs or songs from the period? In the past, you used two songs, and both of them were 19th century songs. One was a minor song that was more of like a fun little limerick that they would tell each other. And another one's called Roll Your Leg Over, which is a body song that I think originated in the U.K., it's usually with men singing to women, but we have it where women are singing to the men. And it's just a fun little saloon song and a chance to have the girls dance and sing. The last time we did do an original lyric, lyric to it, but that yeah. was also a body song, a Bang Away Laddies. Yeah. That was also and an old song. we wrote our own lyrics to that. They're fun because you can literally just take these old songs because they're all very simple melodies and just make up your own little limericks to go into it, and they fit. Does any of what you're doing in this play, in terms of characters or struggles, speak to us today? Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. We had this play written before the 2020 presidential election. Basically, too, we wanted to honor the 100th year mm-hmm. of the woman, woman getting the vote, but, of course, COVID interfered, so we had to hold off on doing it. So we have voter fraud and things like that in it before they were being accused of it. So people are going to think we took it from all of of the presidential stuff, but we already had that idea. And I also find it interesting because COVID did change a lot of what's going on with labor in the country right now. And we definitely touch on, well, labor rights is the heart and center of these plays. So I I definitely think it rings true today, like being able to say, yes, I can ask for my rights as a worker. Like I deserve to take breaks, and I deserve equal pay and stuff like that. Cool in our cast as well, we have a lot of people like Alex Latorto, who is a, a labor leader in this area when it comes to the nurses. Yeah. That he, he's helped unionize a lot of people, and Marcy Reby is also a union worker as well. We're, we're a proud union family. And the letters that you mentioned at the outset that Dominic found in the trunk that he took from the house that didn't want them anymore, have those letters figured into anything you've written? Everything. Mm -hmm. They led me to all of the labor history. Our Green Ridge tours that we used to do, the Forest Hill Cemetery tour, everything that we've done that we've written has come from that trunk. And I'm not even, we have 22 years, and I'm Mm -hmm. still not fully done with all the letters yet. So that's why I said I don't know where it's going to lead us next. (laughs) Margot Azzarelli and Marnie Azzarelli, mother, daughter, playwrights of Dawn of Lackawanna, directed by Paige Belitsky at the Diva Theater, the Old Brick Theater, 126 West Market Street in Scranton, April 29th through May 8th, Fridays and Saturdays at 8 p.m., Sundays at 2. For more information, you can find Diva Theater on Facebook, D-I-V-A, and Theater is spelled T-H-E-A-T-E-R, Diva Theater on Facebook, or call area code 570-209-7766, 209-7766, area code 570. Dawn of Lackawanna by Margot Azzarelli and Marnie Azzarelli, Directed by Paige Belitsky at the Old Brick Theater, presented by Diva Theater, 126 West Market Street in Scranton, April 29th through May 8th. Fridays and Saturdays at 8 p.m., Sundays at 2. Diva Theater on Facebook, Diva Theater on Facebook, or area code 570 209 
7766.